Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One special holiday edition. Break out the Christmas trees, the Christmas lights, the mistletoe, whatever you do to get your Christmas on or whatever you do to celebrate the holidays at this time of year. Welcome to one and all. Mark Squared here, wishing you guys all the very best of the holiday season. Mark, my friends, welcome back. It's uh, it's good to be sitting here literally on the, um, the, the not quite Christmas Eve, but pretty close to it. Both you and I have been looking forward to this break for a long time. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I am with my parents. I'm on Vancouver Island. And incidentally, you just left Vancouver <laughs> Island. So Vancouver Island, I know. it's a big, big chunk of land. It's about a 90-minute ferry ride from the mainland. There's a population of about 800,000 people, but it's a great place to go relax, get away from uh, the big city of Vancouver, but I'm doing fantastic. And obviously, you know, Christmas takes on, and you know this better than anyone, Christmas takes on an entirely different meaning when you have kids. And we have our our little four-year-old. So as he gets amped up with more and more excitement, as the days get closer and closer to Christmas, obviously uh, we do as well. But you guys ready? Everything's dialed in. You're ready for a big day? Oh, absolutely. And uh, we're having everybody over to our house on Christmas Day for the big feast. So really looking forward to that. So literally, I'm, I'm going to hang up my mic and my, my headphones here for the next uh, little while. There's going to I mean, there's going to be Formula One stuff evolved in around Christmas gifts and stuff like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. But as far as the podcasts go, we're, we're going to hang it up for a week or so and uh, just get some R&R. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I can just, I'm sort of looking forward to, but also kind of dreading the turkey coma that's to, to come. But hey, it's all part of the holidays. That's, that's actually a perfect segue. So I have a question for you, and I've only begun to learn this over the last couple of years, but I always take for granted that in Canada, we have Thanksgiving, usually the first half of October, yep. big turkey day, Christmas. I think everyone that I know does a turkey, but <clears throat> as I'm beginning to discover, not everyone does a turkey in the US. A lot of people do ham. What do you do for Christmas? What is your staple, or do you guys mix it up, or do you have some other types of food that you incorporate into the meal? We we rotate through the uh, through oh. through the main courses usually, um, and we we split it up year over year too as well around the family. So, and and so we'll do Christmas. Somebody else will do Easter. Somebody else will do Thanksgiving. So, and then we kind of swap it up. But it's our turn to do Christmas this year. And we like to do, well, what we want to do this year, because I think the last time we did Christmas here, I think two years ago, we did a turkey. So this time we're going to do a ham, and I'm really looking forward to that. Really? Yeah. And then, very, then all, very cool. all the all, all the fixings with it, you know, the you know, we're, even though there's no tur- turkey, we're still going to do the stuffing. We're going to do sweet potatoes and vegetables and, you know... All the you know wonderful things that um, you know are really heavy to eat and digest, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm getting hungry. Excuse me, just thinking about it. 
I, I can see that. I can see your reaction just to describing the meal. Well, our house is a little bit unique. So, so I'm British. I grew up in the UK like you did. So for me, it, it's all about the Brussels sprouts yes. and cheese and cauliflower. No mashed potatoes in our house. No siree. We are all about the roast potatoes and we do turkey. But my wife is Persian. So over the course of the last few years, we've been mixing in some Persian elements to our Christmas and our nice. Thanksgiving dinner. So we'll usually have rice um, with moss, so rice with yogurt. And of course, the, the rice is topped with um, a number of different ingredients and including saffron. So we typically have that. And sometimes we'll have some Persian sides as well, but it becomes quite uh, overwhelming. And then we we don't do pork in our house, but we certainly have sausage and turkey or sausage and turkey. We certainly have sausage and, and uh bacon, but we typically mix it up with different types of maple chicken or or turkey sausage or turkey bacon. So we are absolutely looking forward to it. So this year, we're going to do our Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve. So really, we're just counting down the hours now. Um, but then a lot of our friends are out of the country. So we're actually going to do a Christmas in January. So oh, on cool. January, mid-January, we're going to do a, a separate session and we're going to do it at our place. But uh, yeah, very much looking forward to it. And now that we've gone on this 15-minute tangent, we should probably <laughs> get, get down to business business a little bit. Well, you know, uh, we we couldn't not do this show today without, uh, you know, we're going to play Santa. Uh, and somebody's allowed us to do this. So why don't you take it away? Because you helped us set this up and organize it. So I don't want to steal your thunder. It would be very scroogey and very Grinch-like for me to, to kind of wade in where I'm not really welcome or supposed to. Well, you are absolutely welcome. And I'm not (laughs) about being territorial, but I do appreciate that. And you are generous as always. So as everybody knows, over the course of the last couple of months, we've run a couple of contests. We ran a poster contest and we should be getting those posters into the post in the next couple of days. They just arrived at my home from Toronto. So we're going to get those out. We also did a fantastic contest in collaboration with the race weekend. So to the winner of that, fantastic. You should see your first issue honestly, any day. And if you do get it, I would love if you could post it on Twitter just so we can retweet it and share with the crowd so everyone knows that we come through with our content. (laughs) But this one is also equally special to us because we have a artist that's local to us, British-born, British-raised, came to Canada later in life, has a fantastic family. He does some absolutely exceptionally unique Formula One, uh, Formula One-themed artwork. So we are going to we are going to i'm not going to say raffle is that a raffle we're going to draw a winner from our contest we have over 200 entries which is the busiest contest we've ever had and the winner is going to be able to choose either a lewis hamilton print or a max verstappen print so a little earlier today i did go through the list and i did scrub out some entries typically people that have never posted before people that don't have anything in their bio people that don't have bio pics people that are clearly clearly trying to game the system but we still have a little over 200 entries so whenever you are ready i am going to click the button that will at random select okay. a winner from the draw okay, okay here we go with the drum roll Oh my God. Okay. So this is funny because when the, oh, this is so good. So when the contest kicked off, this individual had actually retweeted, had actually retweeted the entry saying, all I want for Christmas is is to win this contest. Okay, even better. All I want for Christmas is to win this contest. Meg Riddle, congratulations. You get your choice of one of two 
fantastic pieces of art from David Tires. I will connect with you shortly. Make sure that we get the piece that you would like. Get it all arranged and we'll get it shipped out to your address as soon as possible. So again, congratulations to Meg. For everybody that entered, thank, thank you, you so very, much. very yeah. much. I promise this will probably be the last contest that we do for a little while. There's a lot of work that goes into these, as I've discovered. But if you've enjoyed them, we want to hear about that. We definitely want that feedback. But uh, Meg, congratulations. I am so, so, so thrilled um, that it could be somebody that's been such a great part of this community since uh, since day one. So even though this podcast is six years old and I've only been here for a year, kind of call you one of the OGs. So congratulations. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. There we go. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Burns. Anyways, we're going to step aside here figuratively uh, speaking, and I hope you guys uh, like uh, what we're going to do uh, today. We're going to replay the 2022 primer episode that we recorded about six months ago with our really, really good friend, Mr. Tim Haraney from TSN. It's uh, the, the, the perfect time of year to maybe kind of wash away what happened in, um, in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago and all the and, and all the stuff that's happened since then. But we have a new season to look forward to in a couple of months, and it's going to be completely new. And there, there's nobody better to break it down than Tim. So take it away, Tim. Again, thank you all for being members of the community. Thanks, thank you for for, for you know, being here each and every week, either listening to the podcast, jumping onto Twitter, coming to the spaces, watching on YouTube. We appreciate each and every one of you. Love all the messages, emails, tweets. You guys are just the best. So again, on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, Mark Squared, wish you all the very best for, for the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Enjoy the show. And we'll talk to you again really, really soon. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It's summer. It's summer break. There's no races going on right now. And welcome back to the show. It's Mark and Mark, as usual, sitting together in the same studio face to face for the first time in, what, a year and a half? And the, the ironic and the, the, the kind of the cool thing is this is not only the first time that we're meeting face to face, but the last time we were sitting face to face, we were joined by the guy that's sitting beside us here in the studio, which is uh, pretty cool as well. So Tim Haraney joining us again. And Tim, just uh, for everybody, just to remind everybody of uh, who you are and what you do and, and, and all that good stuff. First of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. And that's <laughs> a like, weird story, man, that yep, you just sold last time. Yep. Like, You're like the bookend to our <laughs> personal pack in I pandemic. I bring you guys together. <laughs> yes, yes. <Okay? laughs> uh, yeah, so my, my background used to be professional race car driver. Uh, could could go down the, the list here. But yeah, I've raced for, for, in Formula Renault, which is a feeder system in F1 at the time. Champ Car Atlantics, uh, racing the FIA GT Championship, uh, 24 hours of Daytona did a lot of testing with other race cars. Uh, yeah. So I've been involved in racing and in and around racing since I was nine years old. Um, but since, you know, my career sort of not came to a dead stop cause I didn't want that to happen, but sponsorship became an issue. Recession hit in 2008. I kind of switched roles and started working for different auto manufacturers to help them with their cars and et cetera. And I started to work with um, different magazine companies to help their editors write their pieces. Eventually, it turned into me working for TSN, which is Canada's uh, sports uh, leader, per se, uh, their own 
partially by ESPN. So folks who are listening in the States, uh, the company I work for, they partially owned by ESPN and we do, um, we do formula one there, uh, pitch them on the idea of having like an F1 sort of analyst years and years ago and created my own job. And, uh, yeah, they allowed to, they gave me the ball and kind of ran with it. And, uh, you know, now kind of a bit more scaled down. I don't do as much work for them as I did in the past. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much what I do. Cover formula one, follow it around the world. Uh, I guess digitally now and, over like everybody else, <laughs> a lot of zooms. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking about, about that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. It's it's good to have you back. And uh, the, again, like we're saying uh, in the car on the way over, that the last time we did this, uh, it, it's now the middle of summer. The last time here is middle of winter, and there was two feet of snow on the ground. So it was in weeks weeks before COVID hit as well. And it's yeah. so funny because I, we we always talk about the fact that we live so close together, and I think our listeners are probably a little bit tired of hearing that, but of the 70, 80 podcasts that you and I've recorded together since last fall, all of them have been remote. Like we physically <laughs> haven't seen each other since the three of us were together, January of 2020, yeah. weeks before COVID hit. And little did we know that 18 months later, we'd be here and the world would have changed and <laughs> the world right? of Formula One would have changed as well. Oh man. I mean, all the, and, and that's the whole reason that we decided to sit down today is to look ahead to next year. We just had the release of the 2022 prototype car not so long ago at Silverstone. But yeah, I mean, what a drastic change in the landscape across the board. I mean, we're going to see it on the track, but we've seen it off the track with the cost cap and the new Concord agreements and things like that, which probably were well overdue to be put into in, into place at any rate. But now this this whole new formula that's literally been years and years in the making is it, it's it's upfront, it's it's personal, it's close. We've seen this full scale mock up. And it's it's pretty cool. It's, it's going to take some getting used to because it's quite radical. We talked about it not so long ago on the weekly show, just the way that the cars, they look almost like um, there's an aeronautical feel to them, especially with the way that uh, that the front and the rear wings are designed. It's, it's very, very space age uh, looking. So we're going to dive into that. And that's the, the big reason that we asked uh, Tim to join us uh, today. But Tim, when you saw the release of this full-scale mock-up, uh, I mean, I know everybody was really gushing way back and when was at the end of 2018 when they kind of released some some concept drawings that this working uh, group came up with. But when you saw that full-scale mock-up at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago, what was your what was your take on that? Um, I, I I liked the initial like appearance of it. You know, when you actually sit and and look at it, you know, it's actually not it's not too bad to look at visually. I just worry that, and these are issues that we'll most definitely get into on this podcast is that, you know, is it going to have the desired effect that, you know, folks want? That's, that's going to be the, the, the biggest question mark. Um, but yeah, funny thing about the, uh, funny thing about the mock-up that we saw on the, on the grid, on the grid there at the, before the British Grand Prix took off was that that was plastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a, like a big model kit almost. Yeah, I was yeah. talking to uh, Nicholas Latifi um, on the Thursday heading into the British Grand Prix. And because uh, I asked him, I was like, you know, like, what did you think? And he's like, well, you know, you go up to it and they all, I guess all the drivers were starting to like wiggle it. 
See if they could like, <laughs> see if they could like break it because it was so flimsy and flexible. So. Is it made out of polystyrene <laughs> yeah. rather than carbon fiber? And have had the handlers coming over. No, no, guys, don't touch it. This is for looking only. That's oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to be the guy that's jumping in one of these cars in less than a year from now, you want to have an idea what it's. Uh, <laughs> what yeah, it's capable I don't think of. I want to crash with uh, you know plastic around me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. You know, Tim, I, I want to reflect back on a, a comment that you made to me probably a year and a half ago and Uh we were no it was was a good comment it was a good comment but we were talking about the impact that and we don't need to get into this because i think it's been rehashed to death but you and i were talking about the impact that drive to survive had had on creating a new audience and you were like you know what this is good and it's exciting but f1 and you didn't say this but f1 better not f it up Mm -hmm. and by that it meant look you've cultivated interest with all these new fans and for context we we've actually segmented a huge chunk of our audience is generation dts and people proudly proclaimed i'm part of gen dts i'm gen dts they're excited they're super engaged they're diverse of all of our listeners they are by far the most interactive and engaged and they're curious and they want to know things but your point was look you can't take them for granted and you can't assume that they're going to stick around because if they stick around and watch one year two years of what we've seen for the past seven years they're as good as gone and I think that's really probably a good baseline for everything that's happening, right? This isn't, this isn't change for the sake of change. This is all about creating cost certainty. It's about creating parity. It's about making the, the championship attractive for new manufacturers and new teams and new power unit manufacturers. So that comment that you made really, really stuck with me. And I think what we're seeing here is really F1's response to that, right? Which is we want to get into the United States. We want two, three, four races. We want to cultivate a fan base but we're not going to be able to do that with the current product. And I think that this is really the cost cap, all those other kind of pieces. This is the baseline for starting to achieve that, correct? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, if you look at, I think one of the things in Liberty Media definitely understands this is that, you know, you don't want to go back to what was going on in 2014 and 2015 and 2016 when you had this dominance by Mercedes and there were only two drivers who were winning anything at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they were literally like running away with it. Like they were lapping up to almost geez, fifth place, uh, for some of these races that they were competing. And that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, especially at a track, you go to like spa or something and you know, Lewis Hamilton or Rosberg was, was lapping up that far is, is, is a joke, right? It just really is a joke. So I think for Liberty media, they took a really hard look at what, what do we have? Okay, we got a diehard fan base that whatever we do, it's going to be there. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to go anywhere. We need to add to that, but we also need to know that we need to change the show, right? Because the show is not that good. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm not point. trying to sit here and trash uh, Formula One, but the show is not that good, right? I mean, this season's been okay, right? So far, it's been we've had a couple good races, and you know, Austria was a bit of a snoozer, and so and Verstappen's, you know at the time of us recording this is pulling away in this championship. And, you know, I was speaking with total wolf a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he was telling me that they're going to start shutting down the development of this car and start focusing more on the 2022 car. And if you're like someone who's heavily invested in something like this, I mean, that's actually kind of a scary thing to hear because it's like, you know, Red Bull is not going to stop developing. So mm-hmm. implementing this type of a race car at this time, I think it's a tiny bit too late, you know, and I know that they wanted to make sure that they stretch things out enough that they could 
make sure they weren't sewering teams, right? Because if you go back to when the pandemic like actually hit, I mean, a lot of these teams, we almost lost probably three right. F1 It was pretty teams, close, wasn't right? it? Yeah. Real, yeah. real close to losing yeah. some teams, guys. So it's kind of like they go in and you have to restructure everything. And you have to figure out, okay, how are we going to be able to keep these teams going, keep them alive, keep them in Formula One and not have them pull out with a drastic regulation change like they had planned for for 2021. Mm-hmm. So they push it back to 2022. Problem is, since the pandemic – You've had so many people tuning in to Netflix, right? Yeah. To watch Drive to Survive. And then F1 has done such a great job of uh, developing their their online, their digital footprint, all the things they do with social media, you know, gaining that interest from those 18 to 25-year-olds, right? Like that's kind of like where that kind of comes from. And, you know, you, you, you got them right now. And it's yeah. kind of like... We just need some more good races to really keep them and then to take that to the next level. So. Yeah, it's funny because you, you make a really great point there because I remember this comment, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase that Bernie Ecclestone made uh, years ago. And it was kind of something to the effect of like sort of like the, the millennials and that sort of younger generation was uh, just uh, to the effect of, well, I'm not really interested in them. My, my sort of target audience is sort of like the 65, 70-year-old yeah. guy that. that's already made all his money. I can't remember the exact quote or something like that. I'm like, well, sure, that's great. I mean, that that guy that's, you know, really wealthy and, of course, he's going to travel around. He's going to go to the paddock club and stuff like that. But, you know, if he's already in his 60s or 70s, I mean, that's kind of a short-term kind of fan. Like, why are you not trying to engage you know, like these 18, 20, 30 somethings, because they're going to be your fans for the next generation and a half, right? 100%. And like I was saying, since that they've, they've done such a good job of, of really bringing the younger generation on board uh, with Formula One, if we look at what happens, and here's some example, here's an example. So in Canada, our, our ratings and viewership for Formula One is the highest it's probably ever been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, you're looking at 500,000 plus for Grand Prix, uh, just for the races. And most of that demographic is the, like the younger generation, is the 18 to 35. to 35. And yep. that's a huge, and you know, when you're a sport, you that's what you want, right? That's what you want to go after. Um, you know, we were talking about baseball earlier before we started recording, but it's kind of like if you look at like what baseball does, it's you're 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 they're still they're still catering to the older demographics, mm. right? Yep. They're still like baseball is kind of they could speed it up a bit, yep. right? They could try and make this and tailor it just a tiny bit. I'm not saying change the whole game or anything like that, but they could change it just a tiny little bit to try and recruit a younger audience, right? Mm-hmm. But what Formula One has done here is they've noticed what they need to do to go and attack and get get that demographic, and it's uh, it's it's proving that it's turning out correct. Because, Tim, you, yeah. you make yeah. such a great point, and I just I circle this because I don't want to lose sight of this. But you make that comment about the demographic that. 18 to 35 demographic. The reason that's important to networks is because that's super attractive to advertisers. People in this country, they always talk, well, the Blue Jays draw big numbers. The Blue Jays draw big numbers. They draw a million fans per game, but their demos plus 50. Mm. You can only sell so many lawn care products at a discounted (laughs) rate because that's not an attractive audience to market to, right? But when it's that 18 to 35 audience or 18 to 40, that's an attractive audience because they've got disposable income and they're excitable and they want to spend money. So it's not not just that that whole number, but the other point too is for context. You know, people in the U.S. are excited about those ESPN numbers. 
800, 900,000, we have one-tenth the population and we're drawing half the number, which is crazy. And what that number also doesn't capture are the streamers, the people like me yeah. that mm-hmm. aren't watching it on TSN, yeah. we're watching it on the F1 app. So that mm-hmm. number, that whole number is probably much bigger. bigger right? yeah. yeah, it's a lot yeah. bigger. And, that, and that's just an average. Exactly. You know, that's just a that's just a uh, an average number. It's not like, well, what is the peak? Yeah, what's <laughs> like, where the what's peak numbers? Peak yeah. number look Great like, point. right? I so haven't true. never, so I haven't seen that. And hopefully I'm going to learn more in the next couple of weeks here. <laughs> but that, that to me, I would like to... I would like to sink my teeth into as well. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a perfect point. You know, advertisers, they, for certain products, they, they want a younger demographic and they want to figure out how can they, uh, how can they get into that, into that younger demographic? And I think for formula one and, and what they've done with drive to survive, but, but also with, um, the Instagram and their YouTube in particular, it's done a great job of moving the storylines forward, Unreal. making mm-hmm. it entertaining, so uh, making their 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 fifteen minute shows, um, however length that they've been on YouTube, uh, has helped like a ton. Like it's helped so so much, and they're not really having to give up a lot to do it. I mean. Formula One is a is their own traveling broadcast. They have yeah. camera people at, located everywhere within the paddock. Yeah. They have camera people located everywhere on the racetrack. They have camera people in the grandstands. They have camera people uh, in the garages. They have camera people on pit wall. They, so they have all of the necessary resources to do what they're doing now. And it's smart because what's their spend? It can't even be that much, right? They're really utilizing what's already there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got all this great material, yeah. raw material, uh, right at their hands, and they can just do so much with it. I mean, so there's much. so much great content out there yeah. that there wasn't even just a, a couple of years ago. But hey, guys, let's take a, a quick break here. And then when we come back, I want to start uh, diving into the the meat and potatoes of this whole conversation, if you will, and and talk about the what, what we're going to see new on these cars for next year and hopefully how it's going to improve the rating. So we're going to take a break right here, and we'll be back in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right. Well, welcome back. And Mark and Mark and Tim Haraney <laughs> sitting here. You know, you know, just for simplicity's sake, can we just call you Mark Three? <laughs> yeah, sure. For, okay. for the show today. It's sure, going to have sure. to be a thing that just uh, so people don't get confused. Roman numeral three. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just joking with Mark uh, not so long ago. We should get like the thing one and thing two shirts or something like that. But uh, anyways, uh, we're, we were talking about some of the off of the track stuff uh, in the first segment there. But let, let's switch now to the cars themselves. So basically, like you said uh, so nicely just now, is that there hasn't been a lot of spectacle. There hasn't been a lot of close racing at times. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've had some good races yeah. each and every year, but the whole idea of this new design, this new spec of car, is to increase the action, increase the amount of overtaking on the track. So just in real simplicity or real really simply put that the cars now and the aerodynamics on them really throw off a ton of dirty air from behind the cars and it just makes them more difficult to get closer and then you get to all these uh you know uh, knock-on effects like the you know get tire degradation because they're heating up and the brakes and everything like that so it's just physically difficult to get close to the car in front of you without paying a cost on your own car, which may affect you down the line and, you know, decrease the amount of you know time you have on the track and all those other things. So where do you see, or what are you hopes for this new aero package on the cars? And well, maybe you can just, or maybe from a racing driver's point of view, maybe explain it to you know less intelligent people like myself so we can understand it a little better yeah i mean the, the the issues now like you've you've said perfectly is is the dirty air and the turbulent air which doesn't allow cars to really follow each other because you know the formula 1 car is utilizing clean air to create its downforce to generate the speed that's required through the corner uh, to utilize the brakes uh, because in all honesty you can't really utilize the brakes when you have another vehicle in front of you or another Formula One car in front of you when you're racing um, so that's that's been a huge issue for for F1 uh, it's been like this for heck guys I don't even know I was I would I was gonna go back to like <laughs> 2000s yeah. early yeah. 2000s yeah. right yeah or like 99 really I mean when like Hakkinen and and uh and Schumacher were racing each other I mean it was kind of you know we started to see glimpses of how these engineers have developed so much of these aerodynamics that have affected the cars behind and if you look at a perfect example actually you know if you look at Mercedes that race car is not meant to run in traffic yeah it's yeah. not it's it's meant to run out front that's what it's been designed for so when you see Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas either stuck in traffic or they have somehow you know dropped back to like third or fourth or, or are stuck in a pack you know they're they're, they're toast that car is fascinating not, not meant to run there and mm-hmm. they struggle a lot with it when something like that does happen um, so introducing this new set of Aero regulations, and there are more regulations that yeah we'll we'll get into in a bit. But the aero regulations in particular with this race car, you know, most of the downforce is going to be created by underneath you know the race car. And with, I definitely want to get into that. Yeah, yeah the ground effects. The yeah. ground effects is going to be huge for these uh, race cars. One of the things is, is you got to remember is when the car is punching a hole in the air, that air has to go somewhere. So with some of the aerodynamics that are actually on this new spec race car, the hope is that 
the front wing will be almost sort of neutral, where in the F1 cars now, the front wing is so important. Mm-hmm. If the front wing on this these 2020, 2021 F1 cars is not working uh, particularly well, that throws off the whole race car because it's the first thing that touches the air. It's the first thing that disturbs the air. It's the first thing that washes it away. What this is going to try and do by the looks of it and from the people I've spoke with, they want to try and find a way of funneling that air to the rear wing. So once it hits the rear wing, it kind of, instead of um, creating a, a straight line backwards, it creates a line that goes up into the air that would hopefully curve over top of a following race car, mm-hmm. which then would allow the race car that's following clean air essentially is what they're trying to do. So if they're able to kind of maximize that and if and if the numbers work out correctly, I mean, we could see some pretty exciting stuff like IndyCar type racing. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about the, the ground effects as well and the fact that the cars are going to have, they're going to have some creative license in developing these dual undercar channels. And I think for a lot of our listeners that are coming over from Indy or NASCAR or maybe new to motorsports in general, they look at the outward appearance of these cars and then they look at that flat, the flat underside of the car and there's this puzzle like why is there nothing there why do they do nothing with this but i'm hoping you can kind of speak to why did f1 outlaw ground effects to begin with and it seems because it seems to be a mystery to everybody yeah. and we created Still a is. world yeah <laughs> and we've created this world where the cars were dependent on the rear wing for so much of the downforce which created that dirty air but there seemed to have been an answer and yeah. your sense your perspective is at least early on that this could be a great way to clean up that wake and create more overtaking yeah, yeah. absolutely i think um giving these engineers uh and let's be honest here right like the the engineers aren't going to be as utilized as they have been, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if some staff, unfortunately, have to leave their job or get let go or move to another team or look for a job elsewhere because I just don't think there's going to be the work there for them that there, there has been because of the lack of development with these new race cars. So I think a lot of, you know, a lot of this, um, ground effect downforce is going to be coming from tunnels that are these engineers are going to have to try and figure out and build underneath the race car but it's funny because i was thinking i was thinking the other day about this it's kind of like well geez i remember you know racing atlantics and and stuff like that and you would hit if you took too much of a curb you could damage like the barge board underneath and it's kind of like, well, if you're going to have a race car, it's going to have tunnels all underneath wow. the bottom of it. It's kind of like, well, how aggressive can some of these drivers, can they be with like pounding the curves? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's the fastest way through the corner. Yeah. And there's nothing else you can do about it. You literally have to jump curves to get through a corner. And so there's things like that that I've I've been thinking about when, when looking at this race car and, and thinking about the detail that's going to have to go, go into it. Um I'm kind of glad that it's doing away with this uh, direction we were going in with the high rake and low rake and, you know, the the, the barge boards are running at the rear of the race car right now. It's kind of like, okay, we're going to do away with that. We're going to get, like, just one specific thing that they can work on. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes, but I read online and I hear people get frustrated that you're just building another indie car. Or it's like, this is going to be like a, uh, you know, this is all going to be, I'll, I'll be the same. So I was talking to Christian Horner about this before, um, during the uh, the Saturday leading into the uh, British Grand Prix. 
And he he was basically saying, yeah, you know, you're taking a, a lot away from the engineers, but at the same time, most of the development is going to be underneath underneath this race car. Like obviously, oh, obviously with the uh, the barge board, but mm-hmm. but more in particular, dampers and springs. Like that's going to be a huge. I think it's going to be a huge element. And by the way, he was talking to me. It sounds like that's where a lot of the work is going to be done. Tim, mm. I want to circle back to a point you touched on a couple of minutes ago, and it reminded me of a moment. Uh, Twenty sixteen. It's a Saturday. My wife and I are at the Williams factory. Um, we're there. We got to watch the Italian Grand Prix qualifying with a bunch of the factory workers that had stayed behind, and they were really excited because they were introducing a new wing that week or a new front wing that weekend. And I'd asked them how. Many many people worked on that wing and there were 62 <laughs> wow. 62 yeah. people at yeah. williams were working on that front wing yeah. so you make this great point about the fact that if the front wing is going to be pres- heavily prescriptive and the rear wing is going to be heavily prescriptive there's a lot of people that are going to be out of a job and that's also going to be driven by the fact that there's also a cost cap which is going to limit the number of people that you can have on payroll but you make a really good point and I think for Gen DTS, there's less concern, but I think for more traditional Formula One fans who tune in because they like the fact that there's almost a sense of kind of a prototype dimension to these cars that we know there's a formula and we know there's some rules, but there's still a lot of creative liberty that the engineers can have. Mm -hmm. Your perspective on this, like, are we inching closer and closer to that spec indie series, that spec NASCAR series? Because clearly we are, but... Is there still room? Like, is this something that you're concerned about? Because for me as a long-term fan, I'm a little bit worried. And obviously there's trade-off if it's going to be a more exciting championship, but Formula One has always been very unique in that sense. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think when I first saw the race car, I thought, man, they're all going to look like that. And then I thought, okay, I can get on board with that if the racing is good. I honestly, at the end of the day, if you take a look at, Let's let's take the F1 cars we're looking at right now, guys. Yeah. Like 2021 cars, right? And we painted them all the exact same color. Every single one of them, right? Chances are you may be able to tell two two cars Very right, true. out of that. Like, Super that, true. That look different from each other. One mm-hmm. is probably going to be either a Mercedes or an Aston Martin. Yeah. And the other one is probably going to be Red Bull because of the high rake, low rake thing yeah. that we were just talking about. Like That's the only way you'd probably be able to differentiate between the two of them. Because at the end of the day they kind of all look the same anyways and they're all going to like, and they all kind of trend towards trying to be the same, right? Right. Once one engineer, one, once one team sort of figures something out, these other guys are right behind them taking pictures. They are, they're paying camera people to make sure they're, they're taking pictures of the bottom of the race cars. What do they look like? What are they doing here? What are they doing there? I mean, if you think about the, um, if you think about the floors, the floors, when they first came out, uh, for testing in Bahrain. And you saw, I don't know if you guys saw, saw this, but there was a ton of pictures that flooded, you know, flooded the internet. And everyone's like, oh, this is what, you know, Mercedes is doing here with their yeah. floor. Yeah. This is what Red Bull's decided to do with theirs. And then everyone's like, oh, this is what McLaren's done at the back of the car. And it's going to change everything for McLaren. And it's like, come on, guys. They're all going to start copying each other anyways. Yeah. And sure enough, here we are. And they all have the same stuff. That's such a great point. Right? So yeah. it's, at the end of the day, everyone's always like, well, you're going to lose, you know, Formula One, building your own stuff, da 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 It's like, they're already doing it. They already all kind of look the same anyways, right? Like, we're mm-hmm. not really, it's, 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 a, it's the not variation really a may not be as extreme yeah. as we yeah. assume it is, given that they have those functions. But that, that's such a good point, which is 
oftentimes the engineers will just come to the same conclusions. Yeah. And sometimes that's in the shop or on the computer. And sometimes it's, to your point, just photographing a competitor's car and trying out what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, math and physics don't lie. I mean, you know, they, they give you an answer, either it will or it won't. And some people are just able to further refine it. But what I find really interesting is that we, we've seen this full-scale mock-up. It's just like, how close is that to reality? How close is this going to look to the way that the designers and the engineers interpret these rules to see what we see wheeled out uh, next year? And I wonder, too, in, in testing, we were just talking about, like, all the photographers, you know, when we see, like, the cars roll out for their initial, like, uh, you know, trials and everything, and they put, like, that that zebra paint scheme on it so it <laughs> yeah. lacks, like, the depth. So. Yeah. That you know you can you can take a, a picture of the car and you're going to get the general shape, but you're not going to get that depth perception. Just so you get a little bit of you know espionage in there, which I always thought is you know only in Formula One would you see something like that. Because I remember Red Bull, Red Bull did that a couple times yeah. a few years ago, where That's they right. had their camouflaged uh, race car. And I believe it was kind of I think it was the last year of Daniel Ricciardo that they they did that. That was the last time yeah, they 18. started doing yep. something like that, and it's like. That's really smart, but mm -hmm. I really like the camouflage. And I was like, I, I, I hope everyone that. did. <laughs> everyone did. In fact, because they, they teased it early on, and a lot of people thought that was going to be. I was one of those yeah, people. I yeah. And I was so disappointed yeah. when I tuned in for Australia, and they were back to the traditional livery. Like, oh. I, I was kind of thinking maybe they're going with like the, the radical paint schemes like yeah. Benetton did yeah. like years like in the 80s and the 90s. But, yeah. you know. No. You know, talking to, and talking to some of the, the team principals about this, you know, they all lean in the same direction that yes, their cars don't, they, they actually look quite similar to what we saw on the grid at the British Grand Prix. I think what the biggest differentiator here is, and I actually think it's a good thing is your paint schemes, your sponsorship logos. How does that race car actually pop when it's on the racetrack? How can you tell it between another car? And I think it's kind of lends, lends its hand to, hey, why don't some of these teams think about doing what McLaren did for Monaco where they ran that golf uh, that badass golf, um, so good. Yeah, uh, paint scheme, right? right? Like, it's yeah. kind of like, okay, well, why don't we start thinking about doing retro liveries? Like we do with, uh, sports over here in North America, you yeah. know, they have retro and they, they do retro night for some of their jerseys. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I love that. I, you know, the Toronto Raptors throwing it back to whatever it was like 95, yeah. like and, well, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. did the Huskies the one year and it's kind of like, I, I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love something that. like these sort of like what I call modern retro. It's kind of like oh, it's, yeah. it's a modern design, yeah. but it's got yeah. like a real retro yeah. uh, feel to it. One of our, our listeners had suggested that, Mon and maybe it was actually on your Twitter feed as well, but uh, that Monaco be utilized as a special event where everyone rocks a special livery every single year, yeah. just to kind of lean into the historic legacy of that track event, which I thought was super cool. And you just like, we could see it amongst our users. They were they were on the McLaren site the day the merch dropped, refresh, 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 mm -hmm. refresh. Yeah. So there was definitely some excitement built up as associated yeah. to that. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's take another uh, break here, guys. When we come back, I just want to talk about DRS and what's the future of DRS and, and, and things You're like that. You're opening a can of wor worms here. Mark. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it, but we'll, we'll open that uh, can on the other side of the break here. So uh, we'll be right back on the flip side. So don't go away. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, well, welcome back. And yes, Tim, it is time to open up the <laughs> DRS can of worms. We sort of been saving it there because uh, it was on this uh, on our little list of things we wanted to talk about. And I thought we, we maybe this one's better to kind of like separate out from the, the, the rest of the larger discussion. But the one thing that I find really interesting when you look at this proposed wing on the, the, the full scale mock up of the, the 2022 car is just this one piece basically surface of the rear wing. And it looks like a bit of almost like a W shape and, and the, the front wing as well compared to now what is very angular. It's got several different surfaces on it not uh, to mention just the the end plates on uh, either side but this is this new proposed wing is is very very different and obviously it looks like it's going to have a couple of different pieces to it and my first take on it was that doesn't look like it needs drs and i don't think drs is intended and drs is one of those things for for those of you wanting to know the history of it is kind of one of these things what what i like to call sort of an artificial measure to increase promotes uh, overtaking and just well it's the drag reduction system so it gives you more speed and all these different things it's one of several different gimmicky things that they've tried over the years but you know you you look eager tim so why don't you have at it uh, okay so as a as a as a racing driver i mean you always want to have opportunities to pass um but at the same time you kind of lose the art of hunting someone down and outsmarting them right mm. really uh, a pass in a in a race car especially well any race car actually I shouldn't just say especially formula one um you have to outthink your opponent like that's that's literally what it's what it's about and sometimes a pass it only it takes five laps you know like you would literally have to find where their weaknesses were and break that down and then strategize as to when you were going to plan your attack and then launch the attack and hopefully it, ha- and hopefully it works. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, when I was racing competitively, um, you, it, it, it was sometimes how rattled will the driver get when you propose that you're about to do something, but you know, in your mind, you're not going to do that. But you're going to put some pressure and see what happens here. Like how mm-hmm. shakable are they? And it's like okay, yeah, you know they're they knew I was messing around there, and they, they they kind of understood that. And then it's the next time where it's like you kind of do something a little different, and and then it's kind of like now you're in their head, right? And that's the art of a great pass, mm-hmm. right? You need to build up to that. You need to work work the driver over, like work them over. With DRS, it uh, yeah, it's it's manufactured racing, it's manufactured passing. Uh, look, I understand why it was implemented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it. Um, can you still do those things that I was just talking about? Yes, I mean that that you can, but then you've gotten now with tire degradation. How do you manage the tire? And so it's kind of like they've created this monster of, you know, uh, not natural racing. Yeah. And so the hopes are is that this race car, these regulations are going to start bringing it back to that, which I'm all for because Mm -hmm. that's 
that's racing. Like that's like, as we all know, we grew up with, right guys, like that's actual real racing. And with DRS, it's, uh, it, it's it's going to be here for a while longer, for sure. I think F1 is, or the FIA have created this set of regulations to leave it where they can manipulate it themselves if they have to. Or if they see something that someone has done to the car itself, mm-hmm. they can jump in and be like, eh, no way, right? And I think DRS is going to be something similar, where if these work out the way they want it to, they could look at it and say, is DRS really needed? Yeah. And eh, just do away with it. So I have a feeling that that may happen in the next few seasons, all depending on what happens with this race car. Yeah. You know, going back to when, when we were kids and watching the races then when, you know, they had to have like a clutch and a shifter and everything and a guy would mess up a gear change and just, and and I mean, as cool as it is to see like all the technology and what, how you change gears in a modern formula one or modern race car, just period. There's something about that old school, you know, that just real manual stuff and, and something is, is almost as trivial and silly as, as not shifting gears correctly, but it translates to excitement uh, on the track, which frustrating as a driver, if it happens to you, but exciting for, for, for people watching the race, right? Like I'm not that old, right? Like I'm in my thirties and I'm talking about when I was racing professionally, like when I was like 20 to 25, you know 26 so this isn't that long ago that like we were like you know doing h pattern gearboxes heel toe downshifting yeah like working the wheel with one hand while going banging through the gearbox and you're working every single pedal all three pedals all at once mm-hmm. and that was a skill in itself yeah right and then that like f1 came out with the uh you know sequential shift which was also awesome like the sequential shifting once i got into that it was it was so cool you could maximize your braking so much more it made the racing so much more intense uh you were able to find time that you didn't even know was there especially in like the Mm -hmm. braking zone um yeah, and then, uh, you know, and then F1 introduced the automatic gearbox. And at that point, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think, uh, you know, you lose that, that skill set, right? You really do lose that whole skill set. And it's a special one because not only are you trying to hustle the car, get the lap time, not make a mistake, keep someone off of you, protect your position, Right. There was just so much more of it back then, but I shouldn't even say back then because it's not even that long it's ago. It's not really but, all that long ago. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, um, I would love to see, uh, and this is like getting totally off topic, but I would love to see like if F1 would ever do like a retro sort of race weekend where they mm. threw all these guys in the exact same H pattern, like, mp44 or something and just like let them like go for it oh it's really cool i mean there's lots of like these classic f1 races i was uh, looking up uh, one of these uh, not so long ago i think it was at brands hatch i'm not sure what year it was from but there was a ton of like these 1980s like uh, f1 cars from different years yeah. but all on the track at the same time and the mp44 <laughs> it's one of my favorite cars of all time same just the man. scream of that that honda engine in the yeah. back and just watching them go head to head, I'm just like, yeah, that. I don't know. There's a bit of nostalgia <laughs> yeah, there, obviously, sure. and being sentimental. But I'm just like, it just it just sets you know my my pulse racing watching those cars. It's uh, it's pretty cool. You made a great point earlier about the fact that the the current issue that we have with overtaking in F1 is not new. It's a decade old. It's two decades old. It's why DRS was introduced in 2011. I think even then people were frustrated. It clearly didn't help because it was introduced after. I guess that would have been. 
the first, would that have been the first Red Bull title or immediately preceding the first Red Bull title? But then you see this run of dominance from Red Bull and you see the run of dominance from Mercedes. Fans didn't like it, at least the traditionalists back then. We've got this entire new generation of fans that have never known Formula One without it. Yeah. From And they're all like, yeah, DRS pass. It, and it's exactly, like, oh. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's all they've ever known. And like, like Indy, where you've got push to pass, it's very similar. Yeah. From your perspective, because you've got this obviously really unique and special relationship with a ton of drivers on the grid, given the choice, and I think sometimes some of the drivers are a little bit cautious because, again, they, they need to be able to function as ambassadors for the sport and their yeah. teams and their sponsors. Sure. Without naming names, would given the choice, would drivers prefer to race without DRS? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was a long. That was a very long build up to a one word answer. Sorry. Eddie didn't even let you finish. Uh, say, getting Can you the expand question? on that? Yeah, just, so okay. I can prepare the next question. Yeah, shut that one down. Yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah. it goes back to all the things I just had mentioned, yeah. where it's like the skill and the art of it. And yeah. you know, we we watch. Um, some pretty impressive we've seen some pretty impressive outtakes uh so far in this uh, past few few seasons where drs wasn't needed Mm -hmm. right and and that's when you can see everyone like oh my god you did what right so that's what you you want more of that Right, you want more of it. You don't want these straight line passes totally Totally. (laughs) it's like oh geez like i can see i can see where you look at indycar right and Let's say Scott Dixon, who is, in my opinion, one of the greatest race car drivers ever, he has a three-second lead, Mm -hmm. and there is 10 laps remaining. And let's say Alex Palau is second. He's fighting Scott for the championship. Currently, that's what they're doing as well. And he's got to close the gap, right? He can't close the gap. Push to pass comes into play. Now, I'm like... Okay, yeah, that's cool. I, I got, I, I get that. That actually, to me, makes a lot of sense. Interesting, because he's gonna be able to close that gap down. Well, let's say he's using push. Let's say Scott's already out of push to pass. Alex has got thirty seconds left to push to pass, but by the time he catches up to Scott, there's about a six, seven tenth buffer between the two of them. Right. He's out of push to pass. Scott's out of push to pass. Now you got a race, mm. right? Now you're gonna get a race, right. and that's where it's kind of like for me. I like what IndyCar has done with that, with the DRS. Is there another way where they could utilize it where it's kind of like if you've got, if you're back three seconds from someone in the lead, can you use DRS to help close that gap down? But then once you get within, let's say, nine tenths, eight tenths, you can't use DRS anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's the total opposite today. And you're right. When you watch the race today, you can, you can almost start doing in the math in your head. Like, look, if, if the guy who's chasing the lead driver is back by 1.2 seconds and he's making up two tenths of a second per lap, you almost know exactly when he's going to get into a DRS zone. To your point, it's always a straight, like it almost becomes predictable that you know what's going to happen. It becomes this mathematical equation of when, not if, and then it's no longer exciting because it's not racing. And he doesn't, to your point, he doesn't have to lean into his talents as a driver to make that overpass it's purely a manufactured pass on a straight which isn't exciting to begin with yeah and we kind of saw something similar to that in in france right when max was hunting down lewis at the end and all credit to lewis who drove an incredible race on hard tires that were literally toast yeah uh all credit to him for holding holding max off for as long as he did but that pass 
it was just, you know, it, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't an exciting pass for the win, right? Like, this is a pass for the win, right? And he literally just blew by him on the straightaway into the breaking zone. There's nothing mm-hmm. Lewis could have done about it. Yeah. And so it's stuff like that, right? Where it's just like that, that was a pass for a Grand Prix victory and to kind of put your stamp on this championship at that moment, right, guys? Yeah. Like, so it's just, yeah, it's just stuff well, like that. It was very similar too in that same race, the way that Max blew by Valtteri Bottas. It was, it was supposed to be that buffer between himself and Lewis. And it was almost a, a non-event because Max just flew by him. I mean, that was that whole different uh, discussion that uh, that we've had before on the show, just how the engineers didn't really listen. Well, they they didn't listen to uh, Valtteri's uh, feedback, and he just wasn't in the position to run interference and, and, and hold Max up. And you know, <laughs> if you know if he was if his you know because of that, I mean, it was. I mean, it's exciting if you're you're cheering for Max, but if you're kind of from a more a neutral perspective, just wanting to see an exciting race that uh, it wasn't really you know it, it just it happened very quick there was no real battle to it he flew by one and then he closed yeah. down past lewis very quickly as well yeah, another example would be if we go back to the the start of the season in bahrain and the battle for the win right came down to the last five laps of the race and the overtake that Max tried to pull off on Lewis and then he had to give the position back, mm-hmm. that was done without DRS. That wasn't a DRS pass. Max barely kept it on the pavement, right? That's why he got the penalty that, that or sorry, that's why the team told him to give the position back mm-hmm. because yep. he had gained a bit of an advantage, put some gravel down there, and that won't happen. That's a different discussion for a different <laughs> time. Uh, but that was that was that battle was done without DRS. Yeah, literally, literally was. So I mean, it's it's, it's stuff like that, right? And that was exciting, yeah. right? Because that was like wheel to wheel, like action in the middle of a corner, and everyone, I, even I was like, oh my god! <laughs> it's funny too when you put gravel on the side of the track. How guys tend to want to keep it between the white lines, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, or a wall, <laughs> yeah, or the wall. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's take another break here. When we come back, we uh, I want to talk now about the new wheels, which is something, oh, it's that something you I'm very excited. You're about. very excited about. So we'll do that. And not in a a, not in a positive way. In a positive way. Okay. Well, we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So we've uh, kind of been working down our our very loose list of things to talk about. And when I, I'm, I'm being a little bit sarcastic because you actually have a list of things you want to talk uh, of about. Course, of course, of course. Nice picture here, which uh, unfortunately nobody can, can see. But uh, so we've talked, we've covered a lot of ground. We talked about the cost cap. We've talked about the new aero package. We've talked about uh, DRS. The one thing, and and we've talked about this uh, before, and you've been very interested in this one, uh, Mark, is uh, the new 18 inch uh, wheels. I've been, I've been. Very- <laughs> So I've been excited to talk to you about this because it's probably the thing that's generating the most interest amongst our listeners. It's the thing that they seem to have the most questions about. What? Yeah, honestly. And it's either one, why was Formula One rocking 13s? Why are they going 18? What's the impact going to be? And I'll share the story because I really want your perspective as a full-blown race driver who's been in an open-wheel car at the championship level. To me, and, and I'll share the story, back when we used to track our cars, we'd go to the track. The first thing we would do, we'd take off our 18, 19-inch street tires. We'd put on our forged 15, 16-inch alloy wheels, the smallest wheels you could fit over your brakes because it cut down dramatically on rotational maths. You could have some slicks on there. Your performance went through the roof. So when I look at this and I start doing the math and I just start thinking, 
thinking like the rotational mass, the unsprung weight that's being added to these cars is significant. Is this purely for that play of automotive relevancy? Is this yep. to lean into Pirelli? Okay, you've answered the question again. Because to me, to me, this seems like a self-inflicted I don't know. It seems so like from a performance perspective, it seems self-inflicted from a marketing perspective. I kind of get it, but I can't wrap my head around the two. Is there any benefit to the racing? And if there isn't, what is the negative benefit to the, to the cars and the drivers? I think, uh, we'll start with like the positives I think from it is obviously, I think it, it's going to help with, you know, we talk a lot about overheating, when these drivers are racing each other and they have to cool the tires down or they can't have any slip in the tire. And if they have any, and I guess I should dumb this down a bit. Okay. So when let's say Lewis Hamilton gets a kick of oversteer, what happens at that moment is he's sent a ton of energy through the tire, specifically the rear tire that's created heat, which then can lead to like thermal degradation. So a thing for like Lewis would have to do is back off a bit and try and cool the tire down so it can get back to its Mm. normal operating temperature Mm -hmm. so it doesn't start eating itself, theoretically. Um, With these new tires, the, the goal is to make sure that they don't degrade as much and that the driver doesn't have to worry too much about overheating issues Mm -hmm. and that they can just push, you know, flat out on, right? I think the negative of all this is that they don't know for sure if that's what's going to happen, right? That's, it's it's such an unknown at this moment. Um, You know, the wheel covers uh, that they're, that they're putting on this new race car, I think are smart because what that does is actually allows for closer racing because there's not as much turbulent air coming off of the tires. I mean, these teams design even the tires to give off turbulent air. Mm-hmm. Like that's how smart these engineers are, right? It's incredible. So there are some good things I think that will come out of this and it's tough to see what the negatives would be. The only negative I can actually really think of and the drivers I speak to about this is is that they just don't know if it's for sure going to work. They just don't know if it's going to be an actual thing that's going to work. Uh, yeah, obviously it is a marketing ploy for sure. Um, but at the same time, there could be some good benefit that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. No, that, sorry, right. go ahead, Mark. No, no. So I was just going to say to summarize, what we know then is you're adding unsprung weight. You're adding some rotational math. The yeah. wheels are bigger. Yeah. It's it's more strain on the drivetrain. Um, but potentially, theoretically, it will negate the volume of tire degradation. And you make this great point about the fact that so much of what these drivers do is tire management, tire management, tire management. My back end breaks out in a corner. Um, I slide a little bit, or as I think a lot of people like to say, I drift a little bit unintentionally. Now I have to unwind the heat that I put into those tires yeah. and I've got to manage them and be more conservative. So in that sense, you know what? It's going to be bigger. Cars will be slower. Acceleration might not be as obvious, but then again, I don't think we're going to pick up on that on the TV level anyways, but I think Still like positives. Yeah, you know, I think also one of the other things is is weight. You know, the, the race cars have been getting heavier over over time and they've been adding weight to these cars for, you know, s- s- some reasons for safety uh precautions, you know, if we look at the halo for instance that a- added a dramatic amount of weight to an F1 car mm-hmm. and then the other part of it uh this was this was a while back was like um you know the drivers they wanted to increase the the driver weight because some of them just 
weren't strong enough to actually pilot the race car hmm. and they needed to add muscle mass to pilot the race car, but That's they also needed to keep the weight level um, in the race car down. But then, then since they allowed the driver to, to have access to a bit more weight, mm-hmm. uh, then that bumps the weight of the race car up. Now, with these new tires, you're adding more weight to it. And yeah. so instead of having a nice, nimble, you know, F1 car, if we go back to like, you know, Alonso's championship winning uh, Benetton Renault. I mean, when you look at that and you saw it on the racetrack, I mean, Alonso was throwing that thing around like it was nobody's business. Mm-hmm. It was easy to rotate. And it was yeah. so easy to rotate. You got It was so easy for him uh, to get the speed out of it and to drive it the way he wanted to. Once you start adding so much weight to a race car, uh, you tend to not be able to do certain things. And this could potentially i mean impact the performance of of these race cars like these the engineers will find a way of trying to get the, the maximum amount of speed out of it but then once you strap on these tires and you're kind of going to take that performance away from it mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how much uh, the added weight will be to the race cars i know you know lewis hearing from him a couple weeks ago he was he was concerned about that he was like you know you're you're now adding more weight to these race cars that are already heavy enough. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I do want to, I think maybe we'll put this into the final segment after this next break coming up, but kind of maybe to bring it full circle just uh, regarding the cars itself. We'll talk about the proposed changes to the power units post-2025 in a, in a few minutes. But now that you've had the benefit to talk to some you know people up and down the paddock, of course, there's a lot of uh, questions about uh, you know the performance of these cars next year and what's going to happen. And of course, uh, well, a lot of the changes are to do with the you know the the, the on track action, and I guess a lot of the ch- the changes. Um, you know, is this going to slow the cars down? Is that anticipated? And if so. What are they expecting? Have you had any indication from anybody that you've spoken to what they expect to see on the track next year? So performance-wise, from the actual car itself, they don't have like a a huge pool of data that these engineers can actually pull from. One of the Mm. things that, you know, what they are mostly looking at is the amount of um, points, they call it, or the amount of downforce that the car will be able to generate with using what they have to their disposal. So there's that. I mean, then you've got the engines on the other side, which are producing a thousand horsepower. But then again, when we look at it, you're also going to be pushing more weight Mm -hmm. through gravity. So that's why the drivers are like, well, you know, you've got these really nice race cars, but now you're upping the weight even more. And then you still have the same um, spec, same type of engine that we're going to be running. It's going to produce the same amount. And so... The race cars, the Formula One cars that you're seeing now in 2021, enjoy them mm-hmm. because you are never going to see, I don't think, in my opinion, a race car that fast ever again. Yeah, because it was amazing. I, I remember like, uh, I guess, sort of 2016-ish when they were talking about the the new regs that came into 17. effect for 2017 yeah. and how they're talking about that, say, at Barcelona, for example, they were expecting like the cornering speeds to, I think it was turns three and four, oh. to were increased by like 35, 40 kilometers an hour just in those corners. I was just like, wait, what? Yeah. That was just a, a mind-blowing thing. But it's interesting what you're just talking about there. Just, uh, you know, you got a bigger car, but the same power unit. The first thing that popped into my mind was 2017 Sauber with yep. a 2016 spec engine in yes. the back, but it wasn't designed to 
power that car, right? Absolutely. That's a great point that you make. I mean, when 2017 came online and, you know, they decided that they were going to make F1 even faster and it wasn't going to be done with the engines. It was going to be done with the aerodynamics on the actual mm -hmm. race car. I was like, this is a horrible idea because you are going to ruin like the race. You will, mm -hmm. because now yeah. you're, you're shortening braking zones. Like you don't want to yeah. shorten braking zones. They're already <laughs> short enough. Like these guys are breaking like 50 meters before the corner in some of these corners. And it's yeah. like, that's ridiculous. And it's like, you can't, it's physically impossible, right? You're, you're literally starting to ruin that aspect of Formula One. So I went to, um, testing at, uh, Barcelona in 2017 that year. And if you ever get a chance, and you can go and cover testing, you absolutely go because for the media folk, um, people who work for the team, the tracks are a little more open and you can kind of tour around and get mm -hmm. a little closer to things and have a closer look at, at what's going on. And I went over to, um, trying to remember the turn nine right hand or uphill flat out. Mm. And I was like, uh, when I, when I did it on the simulator, um, an old F1 simulator it was Fernando Alonso's actually, and that corner wasn't wasn't flat out in uh, in the twenty in the twenty twelve race car, I believe it wasn't flat out if I remember correctly. Felipe Massa, so I'm standing on the outside. Felipe Massa is like coming up towards me, and I'm like, this guy's hauling ass. I'm like, mm. holy geez, he's in the Williams, and. Corner's coming up, and I'm like, okay, gonna lift any minute here, give a little tap oh, of the wow. brake and back on it. And nope, nope, nope. And I, I literally like had to like I kind of back pulled away from the track because I was like, use well, guy <laughs> goes through it flat. I've got the wow. video of it on my phone, and it's still to this day. I was just like, uh, oh my god. Like the amount of G's he just pulled going through there. Yeah. The fact that the race car stuck to the track, right? And the amount of downforce that was generated from those 2017 race cars is unbelievable. And then that just kept snowballing, right? Yeah. Like they just kept getting faster and faster. Track records started falling and you're just like, oh my God, when is it going to end? But it's like with this race car, I got a feeling it's going to end. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, I mean, that's great. Sorry. Yeah. I was no. going to say uh, that, that that's, that is such a good observation because after 2017, it was just, we saw track record after track record fall. I mean, it's kind of leveled off over yeah. the past year, 18 months or so, but we had a, a yeah. few listeners reach out and they specifically asked us like, how much faster do you think these cars are going to be? And we're like, they're not. And to your point, we've been stressing the point that this era, 2017 to 2021, this will always be seen not as the glory era because it was so uncompetitive, but just the peak of what these cars will have accomplished in the history. What humans, can, what humans can engineer. Like yeah. Yeah. They are engineering these cars to such a degree that they are running so much downforce that not even the tire itself can withstand the amount of force and energy that's being put through it. You go back to Silverstone 2020 when Lewis Hamilton, you know, three-wheeled it over the over the line. Why do you think he three-wheeled it over the line? Because the tire like just could get gave up gave up the life. Like it mm -hmm. just couldn't it couldn't withstand the amount of load that was being put through it. And that's why they came with these new tires for 2021 to make sure that that didn't happen anymore. But we've kind of seen it happen already. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Right, like a little, I, we still don't know what's going on there. Like what happened in Baku, right? Like, oh yeah, with with Max and yeah, with, uh, with and Lance, Lance yeah, having so, that incident, yeah. Mm, 
<laughs> and they took a lot of flack for that ton, uh, Pirelli. You know, just, uh, and I think it's like, yeah. and that's actually a, 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 it's a, it's a perfect point you make there, Mark, because I think at the end of the day, I, I personally don't like it when, you know, Pirelli gets thrown under the bus or one of the teams gets thrown under the bus. This is a team sort of game. Pirelli and, 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 Absolutely. and these teams have to work together. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, how did this happen? Why did it happen? If I'm a driver, oh man, you know how tough it is to try and get back into a race car after like a tire Can't goes even like imagine. that? Like, Can't it, even imagine. Like, psychologically, yeah. Yeah. it's extremely difficult, like really difficult. Like I remember uh, the next race after that, like uh, riding on board with uh, with Lance because like I have access to, you know, his uh, onboard uh, video and audio and it's like, you could like, and I'm not saying that Lance was scared by any stretch of imagination. He might not have been, but a lot of the questions were, how is the tire? How is it holding up? Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a vibration here. Like things like that. Subconsciously. Like, it's yeah. And it's kind of like, it's yeah. got a weigh on you at some point. I know for me, for me, like it, it would, that would be something that would be a mental challenge to kind of get over so I could get back in the car and go do we, my job. Mm-hmm. We talk so much about Lawrence Stroll and his demeanor and his approach to business, but that moment in the garage where Lance comes back after that tire failure oh. and Baku, there was a, a moment of softness between him and for Lance. Sh- and for sure. Yeah. For sure, Lance sure. was shooken up. But you, you make such a great point too, because the drivers sometimes and the teams and the fans are so quick to criticize yeah. Pirelli, but... And I'm not, I don't want to come across as a Pirelli apologist here. No, but, no, no. But I, they're really the only manufacturer that is interested in supporting the series. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it from their perspective. Every year, F1's coming back. By the way, we've changed our aero rigs. We've changed the power unit. They have to go back yeah, to the to drawing board. Rework everything. And yeah. they don't have a test car. Yeah. They don't have a test track. <laughs> no. The teams have limited ability yeah. and time and resources to test the tires. Like yeah. What Pirelli's doing, all things considered, is pretty phenomenal. And to your point, it's got to be a partnership between the teams, yeah. Formula One, FIA, and yeah. the drivers to come up with functioning tires that yeah. deliver what they want them to deliver. And that's the other piece, too. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's not like they're just going to Pirelli and saying, hey, just develop the best possible racing tire in three compounds. Develop it in a couple of compounds, but it has to drop off the cliff after X number of laps because we want to manufacture excitement with pit stops. Yeah. So Pirelli then has to manufacture a compound that will fail, which is the exact opposite of what they do with their road cars. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's so much to ask. It's yep. such a big ask. And it's like you're you 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 have to work together yeah. if you want it to so be true. like successful. And I know and I understand, you know. Teams, drivers, Pirelli, Formula One, FIA, you all don't want to have this tarnished sort of image. But if you all like work together, then theoretically that shouldn't happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, 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 I do, that's why I say what I say because I do feel bad for Pirelli sometimes yeah, because they really take a, they take a huge brunt of all this. Like, yeah. they, there, there was really some do, criticism so. for sure from Max after that Azerbaijan Grand Prix, but at least he wasn't as uh, vocal and as, as often as <laughs> Fernando was towards Honda four or five years ago. That was bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And I'll, I'll be honest, I feel like Formula One needs Pirelli more than Pirelli needs Formula One. Yeah. Because if Pirelli left, I don't know that there's anyone that's in a hurry, especially after what we saw in 2005 in the US and the damage that was done to all those manufacturers. I don't think anyone's rushing. Maybe that changes as the sport continues to grow in the US, but I think it would be more on the terms of the tire manufacturer than it would be on Formula One. This is what we can deliver, not what you tell us to deliver to you. I, I, uh, I, 
I always love getting the tweets. Like if, if something, if I tweet something about tires during a race, I love it when sometimes I get someone tweeting back at me like tire war. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay. I could go for another tire war. That'd be pretty badass. That was awesome. Bridgestone emission. Let's go. Right. As long as we don't end up with like the 2005 us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mark said, yeah. 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 Oh man. All right. Well, time for one final break. And when we come back, we're going to take one final, well, not one final look, but we're going to just throw out and try and get your opinion on what maybe the future might look for the power unit. It's a couple years down the road, and we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, well, welcome back, and it's almost time to start dimming the lights, which is not really true because it's the middle of the <laughs> afternoon, so it's nothing really to dim, and there's no lights on in here anyways, but I couldn't help uh, but kind of chuckle to myself when we were talking about uh, the tires in the previous section, or segment, and uh, you know it, that Pirelli doesn't need Formula 1 maybe as much as they do. I was kind of thinking to myself, and then I, I just kind of had to chuckle, well, if they leave, where are they going to go for tires? And I thought, well, maybe they'll get like generic Costco brand tires, you know, because I got a bottle of water from Costco in front of me here but uh bad jokes aside (laughs) let's uh, start to and and this one's going to be very speculative and there's been some talk about this uh, you know floating around the past several weeks couple of months just about the future of the of of the power units because we've seen this one and a half liter v6 turbo hybrid era for uh, what eight nine years now whatever it is yeah, 2014 yeah when they were in development yeah. before that and we're going to see them which is pretty much unheard of almost basically unchanged up until at least 2025 and now they've started to have some initial discussions we've seen some other uh, manufacturers like audi and porsche show up uh, recently to some of these uh um i guess initial looks at what this might be but i'm really fascinated towards what this is going to look like and i think just by virtue of the fact that so many of the manufacturers are looking towards converting their road fleets to electric um, uh, cars and all that, that that will be the future. But I can't see Formula One making that step until the point that they can deliver the same kind of performance with a, an electric power unit that they can now with uh, the, well, the hybrid, you know, the, the, so the electric and the internal combustion engine mashed together in some bizarre thing i still can't get my mind around yeah it's a great great topic because i literally just finished talking to total wolf about this like literally so it's like fresh (laughs) fresh fresh stuff so it's uh it's 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 a great it's a great and very interesting conversation so if you uh go back to the austrian grand prix uh fia formula one uh all the engine manufacturers and only a few teams because not all the teams make their own engines. Mm-hmm. We're allowed into this conversation of what will the future power unit of Formula One look like? What will it be like? And you had Volkswagen and Porsche show up to this meeting as well, which is a, that's a pretty big deal. You know, if you're sure. getting these Volkswagen brands to kind of come in and, and, you know, Stick their noses in, see what's happening, see if see if they're interested in getting involved, right? And I think that's that's great. Invite them into the conversation. Doesn't hurt to talk, right? Exactly. So, coming out of that meeting, you had, and I think we're going to see more of this as 
maybe the months kind of tick by here is you're going to have certain teams that are going to want one thing of an engine and you're going to have certain auto manufacturers that are going to want something totally different. Mm. And this is where I think the issues are going to come into play. So if you look at Mercedes, um, Daimler actually does the engines. Daimler sells the engines to Williams, uh, to Aston Martin, uh, to McLaren. Mm -hmm. And so Daimler has their own sort of objective because they have road cars that they need to sell. Mm -hmm. Then you look at, let's say, let's take Red Bull as an example, who's going to be creating their own powertrains um, next season. So for Red Bull, what is their their goal? Like when you look at Red Bull, it's entertainment, right? They got guys jumping out of helicopters yeah. and, you know, crazy stuff. And they're a big entertainment brand. So for Red Bull, they're going to want something that's going to be entertaining, right? They want a loud engine, right? Mm -hmm. They want something that's going to give you some emotion. Where if yeah. you look at, you know, talking, speaking with Total Wolf, you know, his side is, is that, well, kids these days, you know, even when they're on their phones, there's sometimes no audio on the phones, but they're still watching, mm. right? And it's like, okay, it's an okay point that you make. But if you take Fernando Alonso's, and I'm going to use this again, V10 down to like Young and Dundas Square and fire it up, I'll... I'll tell you what, you're going to have a crowd of people around you. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter their age because it's going to capture their imagination. Yeah. And so that's kind of like sort of the Red Bull sort of side of things. And the yeah. Mercedes side of things is like, well, hey, like no one's really watching that. And da, 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 da. Well, I mean, Mercedes, of course, is a luxury brand and, and, and Red Bull, their brand is more extreme, more edgy, yeah. you know, like like X Games kind of yeah. thing, you know, so anything like that. Well, and, even when they do the demos, like when they do yeah. their, their Red Bull demo cars and they go to like different countries and stuff and run this thing with David Coulthard. Mm -hmm. I mean, DC is still rocking a V8. Yeah. Right, they're yeah. still they're still pounding that engine out there. Yeah, well, like I've told this story on the show, uh, you know, probably too many times. But the first race I ever went to was the 2001 European Grand Prix at the Nurburgring, and even though we were there for the full weekend for practice, for the support races, for qualifying, for the race itself, when those cars came down through the track, as we were sitting at the the Dunlop curve or what they used to call it, the hairpin mm, at the yeah. bottom of the track. And when you saw those cars on the first lap coming down the hill into that hairpin and just that that wall, that avalanche of noise was incredible. And we went with about 10 people and we're, we're sitting there in the, in the grandstands and we all had earplugs and everything like that. But when with, with your, all your buddies, you're there for a weekend out and you've been having a good time, you're sitting there chatting. The last thing on your mind is to put your, or at least for me, is <laughs> to put my earplugs in because I'm, you know, talking, you know, trying to, you know, you're trying to talk to your, your buddy who's also sitting at the end of the row who's like six people away. So you can't hear him when you have your earplugs out. But when those cars came back past, I mean, the, I mean, it is like an experience like yeah. nothing else. Yeah. And, and, and it hurt. It physically yeah. hurt without having those little, you know, 25 cent earplugs in. And even with them in, I mean, it was something you, you heard. And you felt it go through your body. I mean, it was just, it, it's an experience like nothing, nothing else. I, I, I don't want to sound like 
you know, I'm aging myself here, but like I'll go back to 2001 and, you know, racing in the undercard for an F1, my first F1 race. And, uh, we were stationed, uh, really close by the track and we could actually go, uh, and check out some of the racing. It's the first time I've ever really been close to a formula one car before. Mm -hmm. And so you could get really close to the track back then. And, uh, standing next to, um, hairpin and I could hear something just wailing through the woods. I was like, what the hell is that? And then as soon as I thought like, what is that? It arrived on the scene. It was Jacques Villeneuve in the, uh, BAR Honda guy slams on the brakes, pounds through the gears. And while he's downshifting, I could feel the ground shake underneath me. I can believe it. Like that's how powerful like those, those powertrains Mm -hmm. were. And then as I got to know Jacques a bit better, you know, I asked him about, about that. He said a lot of the times downshifting, even the gears and, and, and the engine and the amount of energy that's being forced through in that segment actually pounded some of the air out of his lungs. Like, <laughs> like just so powerful, like so yeah. powerful. So, and it, and it captured you, right? Like that, 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 that capture, I, I was, I was like, th- yes, this is what, uh, this is why I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. I'll, I'll add, and it's funny. Every single time we have a guest on the show, we end up, and totally unsolicited, we end up talking about the noise of the Formula One car and how important it is. And I shared, and you've heard this story, so I beg your forgiveness, but my wife and I, MotoGP, British Grand Prix, uh, September 2016, the sound those bikes made, similar to what you experienced Mm -hmm. in 2001, it's a wall of sound that went through your core. She and I were at a Formula One race two months later, overwhelmingly disappointed, like, this is an F1 and it got better in 17 because obviously the regulations came in, but there's still room for improvement relative to the V8s and the V10s because that visceral experience is just part of the the fabric that is formula one. And I don't want to underestimate how important that is. So we talk about electrification and all these other kinds of things, but that sound, which is really core to an internal combustion engine is just so important. Yeah. yeah and I think, um, you know, one of the things actually, you know, and this is a, it, it is a very, for me, it's a very interesting discussion and I could go on about it for a really long time because I kind of nerd out when I, you know, talk, get to talk about like engines and gearboxes and all these things. <laughs> Turbo so, line. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yep. here we go. Right. So, but for for this, you know, obviously you have the two sides, like I had explained, but they all did say the exact same thing when we spoke to them. You know, Otmar Safnar even said, look, we need to have an engine that can be environmentally sustainable. Mm-hmm. It um, has to be road relevant. Yeah. But at the same time, and they all said this, it all needs to produce the required amount of noise yeah. to capture your imagination yeah and th- every single team principal we spoke to said the exact same thing yeah and so that just shows you how important sound is you know christian horner made a good point he's like if we were going to be formula e we would already be formula e exactly right. we're, we're formula one because we're formula one we're formula yeah. one people are still watching us over them because of what our cars can do, what our cars sound like, mm-hmm. 
and the performance that we get from them. They're the fastest race cars on the face of the earth. Yeah. So in Formula E does its own thing, right? I'm not sitting here trashing Formula E, right? They 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 do do a good thing and they, they put on some good racing too, right? Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and slam them because I actually don't mind Formula E whatsoever. It's its own thing though. Yep. Formula One is, is, is its own thing. And it's kind of like you can't, you can't be that. It's already there. So you need to think of something different. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we start getting into like, well, what is road relevance? So in the next 10 years, do you guys actually think that we'll be done away with internal combustion engine cars on the road? Like if you go over to the, I believe it's the, the, the EU, uh, what is it? 2035 kind of everybody yeah. has to be electric. Do you literally think that you're going to get all internal combustion engine vehicles off of the road by that time? Well, even here in BC, I think some of the provincial politicians have thrown it out that they want to see something similar here by 2040. And I can't see that yeah, happening luck. in the next 20, and, 20 years. And maybe some percentage of passenger cars, yeah. certainly not commercial cars, trucks, exactly. SUVs. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Ross Braun's done a couple of interviews that I've listened to where he's very, very clear that there will always be a place and a need in this world for internal combustion engines. Yeah. He's like, you know what? An electric car makes great. If you yeah. live in a city center yeah. and you're motoring around an urban space, it doesn't fit every requirement yeah. for every motorist. And that there's, a, yeah. and again, maybe the fuel is different. It's a sustainable fuel. It's a synthetic fuel, but there's going to be a need for internal combustion. Yeah, exactly. Engines. And you know, that's what, you know, I was going to touch on, on next. And it's kind of like when, these guys, you know, talked talk to me about this. It's a big part of it is what is a fuel source going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking with, you know, Total Wolf, and he says to me, we work in, in Formula One, and it's one of the biggest laboratories on the face of the earth. Sure, yeah. And he made brought up, brought up a good point. You remember when, like, the pandemic uh, first hit and the UK had a major crisis and mm-hmm. same thing with the, the, the ventilation, the ventilators, they had trouble getting the ventilators. Yeah. It took them 14 days to manufacture like private sector, baby. Wow. The C, these CPAP machines yeah. that yeah. they are able to give to the, uh, to the NHS yeah. to, to, to help, you know, to, to help people who had COVID and like, that's a that was astonishing. I, I yeah, like I, I still can't get my mind around that. That when they take like the brain power of those people yeah. working in Formula One and apply it to something, it's incredible. I, like that is just yeah, incredible. That's the the only word that you can use to describe it. And so I think they all feel very strongly that they're going to have an e fuel uh, that they're going to be able to run in an internal combustion engine mm-hmm. by 2025. That's amazing. And the, they all seem extremely confident that that's sure what's do. going to happen because what I feel they they are thinking is that, look, even though some of the sector is going electric, it doesn't mean that everybody has to go electric because you're still going to have millions and millions and millions of internal combustion engine cars that are out on the road. But if Formula One can be a laboratory to develop a mm-hmm. sustainable fuel that's environmentally friendly, right? It's environmentally easy to make, yeah. right? You're not putting out any emissions even just from making the fuel, mm-hmm. right? And then us as consumers, us using it, is there going to be any sort of a carbon footprint? If the answer is no, I mean, let me tell you, the internal combustion engine, I mean, I I, I wouldn't give away my car. Like, I wouldn't just give it up if there was something like that that was out there. I yep. mean, and if it was good for the environment and it wasn't going to put out 
you know, any, anything harmful. I mean, I'm all for that for sure. Yeah. And I definitely. think what, what a lot of these engineers feel is possible is that they can do that. And I, and I, I honestly believe they probably could too. I mean, they've I done some pretty, them, <laughs> they've I mean, done some pretty amazing yeah, things. They've got some amazing minds working in the sport. But, but just as we close it up here, I just want to share a couple of uh, quick anecdotes. And uh, one of them was, I remember going to the Spanish Grand Prix back in 2014. So the first year that we saw the V6 turbo hybrid engines in real life. And I remember getting there for the first day of uh, free practice. And I remember walking through the turnstiles. And I remember that uh, they were handing out uh, earplugs. And then I remember sitting down at the track. I put them in my pocket. And that's where they stayed the entire weekend, you know. And, yeah. and that and that was not just for practice and qualifying, but for the race itself. And I just remember feeling that although I enjoyed the experience of it being at a Grand Prix, it just wasn't as as, as visceral as, as Mark said just now because it just it just it felt like it was lacking something compared to those normally aspirated engines that we've seen with the V8s, the V10s, and even with V12s at times. You know, especially I think that's what Ferrari was known for. For you know, they always ran a V12. That was like their thing. Even if uh, <laughs> they just would uh, you know, hell, come hell or high water, they wouldn't deviate from. Uh, developing and building a, a v12 interesting thing with um the hybrids that they run now is you can hear the fans you know and i mm. I, I like that yeah. i like that you can i like that you can hear the fans like going through the british grand prix um listening to the fans during you know qualifying when lewis hamilton um, That's a great point. um had the fact i can't say pull because it was like the sprint races where they got pulled but during the qualifying on the friday when hamilton captured the fastest lap time i mean the, the you could hear the fans over yeah. the cars I, well, I, I like that i thought that was cool i really like that that's true i remember like years ago like uh, you'd be watching a race and you'd hear the commentary saying oh the crowd's going crazy yeah you like, would never know sure yeah <laughs> you never know take your word for it yeah. Yeah. not unless they can find a way yeah. of like really mic the grandstands and then creating a, a a louder engine but yeah it's it's a it's it's like i was saying it's definitely a, an interesting discussion by no means am i slamming electrification or electric cars i really do think they they do serve a big purpose um but i also think that it's kind of like if we still have product that's that's out on the road like you, you can't just go and recycle a whole car that you know you're not gonna, like what are you going to do with that like you put it to put it to use and mm -hmm. if you can put it to use in a sustainable way then why can't we do that absolutely yeah and just to, to close things up here i just uh, i was when you were talking about that story earlier about being at uh, barcelona and watching uh, felipe go oh, yeah. flat through that uh, that one corner where you expected him to lift and put some apply the brakes and you'd said you felt like you had to draw back because you felt like he was going to come right off the track straight uh, to you and just how like it kind of made me start thinking about how like safety has changed not just for in the cars for the drivers but also for fans so two thousand or two thousand and one, I think it was. I was uh, in Germany again because I was living in Holland at the time. We were there for for Rally Deutschland, and it wasn't on the cool. like on the on the big circuit. But they really made a real push so they they could uh, become like a, an officially a sanctioned event. And I think they were for two thousand and two. Anyways, we went around watched a bunch of different stages on that one weekend, and one of them, and I can't remember the name of the uh, the, the village or the town. But there was this massive military base there, and it was basically like a, a big exercise area for, uh, for, for the tanks. It was a big American base. And so what they would have is they'd have these, um, these asphalt access roads 
through this thing so they could go and do their their maneuvers and whatnot but they they would have these uh, access roads so part of the stage was through this the, this panzer terrain and it was really cool because they'd come up there's sort of a highland and then was her drop down and then come up and then the the, the grade in the road would change and then the cars would come over and they, they were seriously <laughs> getting some some big time air and naturally, you know, like a couple of my friends are just like Mark, you know, big, uh, big into photography. So we had to go to find where the jump was. And so here you go. You've got a, a road that is maybe 15 feet wide, just meant for like a pickup truck or, or something like that. And anyhow, so what do they have for crowd safety? It's like a quarter inch nylon rope set back, you know, like, like about 18 inches off the edge of the asphalt. And I mean, there's no way that that could happen now. I mean, you could literally put your hand out and touch the car as it, it, it went by. But there's a, there's a story. There's a WWRC race. And I don't know if this story is true. Okay. But yeah. I have a feeling it probably is. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say 99, uh, early, early, early 2000s, Colin McRae, WRC, I mm-hmm. uh, believe it was a Ford Focus at yeah. the time that he was uh, he was racing. And uh, what was it? He, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was a Rally Mon- Monte Carlo it might have been. can't remember which one it was. Anyways, he came back from when the stage was done and they were trying to get the car ready for the next stage because they had to like quickly turn things around and get him back out there. So they're hauling around, you know, you know, mechanics are going over this car and there's, and they're like, what's this? And it's like a streak of red on on, by the back wing. And everybody's like, what's this? And Colin goes over and he looks at it. He's like, what the hell? And pulls at someone's finger. (laughs) (laughs) That's how close like you used like fans could could get though, like back in the day, right? To 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 some of these racing events. It's absolutely wild. Actually, I think like for WRC, you can still get pretty close, right? Yeah, I'm sure it'd be completely different for that. I mean uh, you know, maybe it's just uh, the, the the passage of time and getting older, yeah. but I don't think I want to do that no. now. I mean, it was cool as it was <laughs> yeah, back then. And sure. I was, but when I think about it now, I go back to the, and look at the pictures. It's like, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Tim, thanks so much for, for hanging out with us uh, this afternoon. Yeah, it it's awesome. been awesome. Uh, before we, we go, please just uh, remind everybody where they can follow you online, your social media channels and everything like that. And your podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. The podcast as well, of course. Yeah. yeah, sure. Thanks, guys. Um, Yeah, the podcast uh, is, is uh, The Racing Pod, and you can get that anywhere uh, you get your podcasts. Uh, you can get it on tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod. And usually I host a podcast every other week whenever Formula One is ending. Um, social media stuff is at Tim Haraney, which is spelled H-A-U-R-A-N-E-Y on uh, Twitter, Instagram. And um, my girlfriend just started uh, making me use TikTok. <laughs> so on TikTok, I've been doing um, kind of like these 60 second sort of breakdowns. And so mm-hmm. I'm using like, They're pictures really good. and stuff They're like really, that. They're really, really good. You've seen it? Yeah. Yeah, you sent you <laughs> sent, sent it to me you? for feedback. Oh, I'm did like, I? I'm like, oh, so I, I wasn't even using it. So that's what motivated me to get on the platform because you're like, check this thing out. I'm like, well, I better get TikTok and not admit I wasn't <laughs> using it already. But yeah, it's really, really great. And like, to your point, like bite-sized chunks of uh, yeah. uh, content. Yeah, yeah, just really small, digestible. And uh, so I've been doing that. It had some success with that. But cool. yeah, that's where everybody can get me. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for uh, ha- having me on again. So I always have a lot of, ton of fun whenever we get to do this stuff. So like, yeah, whenever you guys want 
want me or need me back, whatever, I'm, I'm always around. Well, let's hope uh, next time you come back on, there isn't a pandemic between yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit too much. But that's cool. Well, thanks for, for joining us. And again, uh, as you guys know, our Twitter is at ScuderiaF1Pod and the email is ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Keep enjoying your summer, guys. And we'll be back in a couple of days. And until then, take it easy and take care of each other. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.